Hi, ADHDers, and welcome to the KDHD Podcast. I'm your host, Katie, and you're probably here because you've heard, you don't have ADHD, I would have seen the signs. Well, I'm here to help you on this journey of understanding your ADHD and how it impacts your mental health, relationships, careers, and even your body. I've invited some wonderful ADHD professionals and experts to help us learn how to cope with our challenges, but also utilize our strengths. So here we go. Today's guest is Kate Komoshita. She is an ADHD educator and education consultant here to tell us how she helps other ADHDers continue their education and how sobriety and motherhood led to her diagnosis. I am Kate Komoshita. That's a Japanese last name. I'm not Japanese. I'm married to a Japanese man and I've lived in Japan since 2006. So that's what, 16 years? I did uh, leave a bit and I spent two years in India. My son was born in India, Um, but I was diagnosed in Japan five years ago after the birth of my second child, after I was two years sober. So it took me having two children and being sober for two years before anyone was like, oh, maybe your alcoholism or maybe maybe yourself and i i have a similar story to to many many women uh i was diagnosed at 34 years old and i was a child of the 80s and 90s and i was too smart to have adhd i think the closest that we got to a diagnosis for me in childhood or in my youth was at one point they called my dad to the high school because one teacher said she's getting B's, but she should be getting A's. But there was like no further communication about what that meant. And so to my father, who is a carpenter, who is like a contract worker getting paid hourly, he was like, why did you bring me here? Like, <laughs> he, he didn't see the, he's like, and so if my grades were just good, except for math and my dad has a PhD, actually. Uh, he went to Yale and he went to Berkeley. And he's just accepted his ADHD diagnosis at 76 years old. So, so I have two older brothers. Uh, my middle, my the middle child was diagnosed first. He also has an MBA and he speaks fluent Mandarin. And my other brother than that, he he said he was diagnosed in the 90s, but he was too smart. So they t- sent him away and I'm like, yeah, okay. Let me just use windows 97 to look that up. I make fun of him so bad for that. <laughs> I'm like, you, you know, you can like get treatment now. He's like, I'm too smart. I'm like, okay. He's a lost cause. My dad's more interested in it. So I went to college. It was fine. And I would say, I told you about this. My big thing was study abroad and going abroad. And as soon as I learned that study abroad was a thing, I was like, out the door and I was just and now even that I can look back and see that that was dopamine fueled dream chasing like completely new surroundings learning through experience like hands-on like you're on the ground running and I went abroad for a year at 17 you know like in high school and so I really think that helped me in so many ways also be able to manage executive functioning skills and like emotional regulation, just because it was so hard 
at such a young age. But then I chose everything based on that. Like I chose my college based on study abroad and I spent two semesters abroad and it kind of propelled me to do the higher academics because I basically I could justify paying for it to my parents too and funding it because I'm like, no, it's for school. It's school. I'm studying. I'm studying. <laughs> and I did. I spent a semester in Prague and a semester in Cape Town. And that's why I came to Japan, because basically I would have gone anywhere. Somebody in the study abroad department said, why don't you go to Japan? I was like, sure. I did the JET program, which probably some listeners of yours know. It's pretty big. It's run by the Japanese government, and they do Japanese exchange teaching. So basically, they paid for me to come over. They, they set you up. You teach English at like a elementary school, junior high school, high school. And it, it's a pretty long running organization. But I didn't care about Japan. <laughs> they could have sent me any, like the guy in the office said Japan, and that's very ADHD too. And I really do think it, that was my education that drove my education. And I think as somebody who's diagnosed later with ADHD, it's been looking back at your life and I do, I can trace it back to 17. And as soon as I found out that studying abroad was an option, I did it. And I know that since it was so hard in high school, like studying abroad in high school versus college is a much different ballpark. My, mm -hmm. my dissertation is about that. And it's just, it's way more intense because you're a kid. So when you're going to college and kids who are going, uh, young adults who go off to college who have ADHD, the hardest thing is that emotional regulation, executive functioning, planning, like your parents aren't helping you do your homework. Nobody's helping you do this. Like you have, you're expected to manage everything by yourself. So I do think I had a little bit of advantage there and college was the same. I don't know. School was just easy. I will say though, as somebody who's late diagnosed, who has high intelligence, the problem became school was my way to validate my self-esteem, my self-worth, my productivity, and it became so much a part of my identity because I was getting structure, because I was getting validation, because I was getting praise that I could kind of hide all the emotional dysregulation and the fact that I'd lose things or because they'd be like, oh, Kate, we'll be fine. Kind of like, she's fine. And it was, I would say there was a lot of poor decision-making, of course, and then alcohol did not help. So if you have undiagnosed ADHD and you're going into a university party environment, yeah, it definitely was not safe or great. I had my child and I had postpartum depression um, and that's really when they started treating me for anxiety and depression. And then after I had my child, I didn't want to be a drunk mom, got sober, mm -hmm. got pregnant again. And then I had my second child and I'm like, okay, what is this? It's not, not postpartum depression. Cause actually my PPD turned into PMDD, which is how we connected. Mm -hmm. After my second pregnancy, I did not have postpartum depression um, because it's very different. So with postpartum depression, I feel it's very easy to understand 
because I gave birth and then I just cried for like two months. So I was like, this is a normal. <laughs> and like they, they addressed it right away. So the other thing I was speaking of is PMDD, which is premenstrual diaphoric, uh, premenstrual diaphoric disorder. Yes. And basically we are extra sensitive to our natural occurring hormones. So it's not a hormonal imbalance. Uh, they say about one in 20 women have it. And there is a high correlation, not causation proved yet, between women with ADHD and PMDD. And it, it's also a higher correlation to have postpartum depression uh, if you have ADHD. And postpartum depression can turn into PMDD. So that's a lot of acronyms. <laughs> but basically, if you're a woman with ADHD and you have these big hormonal shifts, it is likely that you will have postpartum depression. And if not postpartum depression, you can develop PMDD, but PMDD can also start with your very first cycle. So for women in general, it's quite confusing to diagnose that. So now I have, and actually I diagnosed the alcoholism and the ADHD before we figured out the PMDD. But the, I knew something was wrong and I was diagnosed with general anxiety disorder for years, I realized in that moment that the time I would drink most is when I was most excited because I needed to calm down. I needed the alcohol as a downer to just like settle me, right? And that could also be construed as anxiety because you get really worked up. I feel like, you know, it's like almost like your heart is bursting out of your chest. And yeah. so, yeah, that can be uncomfortable it definitely makes other people uncomfortable so we definitely were told to hide that part like you're too excited so I I think that was really my major that's what I accepted it when I realized mm -hmm. that like the doctors weren't wrong my psychologist because you know I, I feel that a lot of people who are diagnosed with ADHD were like no I don't think so I mean yeah. I took the meds and they helped and I was but I was not convinced because as soon as I did start medicating for ADHD, my, my anxiety went way down. And as soon as I could do, like as soon as it was quieter in my head, the anxiety decreased because it wasn't like me battling everything. And then the more, I, I would say then the more I read about it, and again, like on Instagram and TikTok and watching other people, I was like, oh, oh, and I knew there's a lot of people doing advocacy and outreach and education in the U.S. after COVID, especially, and watching all these people on Instagram and TikTok, I knew it was growing, but it was not growing here in mm -hmm. Japan, and um, I was at that time teaching at a law firm, so I was teaching English to lawyers. And like some of my students, I'm like, whoa, hey there. Hey there, young, very brilliant young man who's bouncing off the walls. Like, so in Japan, it's even more structured, the school system. So if you made it through the Japanese school system successfully, there is no way, and without a diagnosis, I'm sorry, there's no way that they would be diagnosed. And I, I at least, could recognize science and we'd talk about it. You know, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not an armchair 
psychiatrist. I'm not here to diagnose people, but you know, we do find each other and we do notice, and especially yeah. as a teacher, if I'm in the classroom teaching my student, I'm constantly mm-hmm. looking how to connect with that student. Everybody still connects ADHD to intelligence, right? Yeah. And it's that if you struggle in school, then you got accommodations. Well, you were talking about um, like college applications. And so I thought that would be like uh, kind of a funny story is that I am not good at like filing anything, anything paperwork. I'm dyslexic. So I do get overwhelmed pretty easily when it comes to things like contracts, um, paperwork, anything that's just like all wordy, no pictures. It's not my brain just automatically like shuts the curtains. It's like, "Mm, no my, I'm really lucky. My partner is a special education teacher. And so he's really helped me and he reads everything out. And when I wanted to go to school, I was so overwhelmed by all like the little things that add up, like the applications and the FAFSA and all that stuff. And so I'm really lucky because he likes to do that kind of stuff. So he took over, you know, I sat in the chair and he filled it out and he'd ask me a question and he'd type it in there. And it and he sent it off to nowhere and I wasn't sure it was going to happen. And I, luckily I got in and it all worked out and got some FAFSA and stuff. And then on top of that, it was actually like arriving at campus. So luckily I was really close to campus. I, before school even started, he, um, we downloaded a map of the school from the website, printed it out. And then we figured out where all my classes were. And we looked at the map and we wrote down and we actually drew a map for me to to go to class and everything. And so that was really cool. And then on top of that, um, we actually drove to the campus and did a couple walkthroughs and practiced walking me to my classes. That's so amazing. yeah, and it was, it was really good for me because I got to see it and I was seeing like landmarks, you know, like, okay, I know next to the sculpture of the woman and the baby, I got to take a right and then go down the stairs and stuff. And so that like being there and that was like so helpful to me. And like that first step made the rest of my experience so much better. And um, it made it a lot less overwhelming, you know, to have, luckily I had a partner to do that, but I know that that there are people available to help you with that process. And I thought that maybe that's something you could talk to us about because if I didn't have him, um, I'd probably have a lot less student loans, but, <laughs> but well, I, actually, I wouldn't have gone back to college. Thank you so much for that that segue and uh, getting me back on my track, you know. <laughs> um, but yes, and I started it because actually I had just graduated graduate school here in Japan and I had a master's in education and I love school. Right? <laughs> I love it. Like I love school. And when I went back to grad school, I actually just got diagnosed right before I went back to grad school, which was really good timing Because even though my graduate school did not have that much accommodations, just knowing I had ADHD in school made school easier. So then I graduated and it was COVID and, you know, everybody like went into this whole existential crisis. And then I saw a post in one of my mom groups here about like needing help to get their sons to apply to universities or their sons were really confused about where to go to school. And I'm like, oh, I love that stuff wait, that's a job. Wait, I can do And then it's like any other ADHD story. I'm like, wait, I can do that as a job. Okay. I'm going to do that. And I down the wormhole. <laughs> yeah. Down. And so it start learning compass, which is why it's the name, because as much as I do ADHD education, it started as education consulting. And it was like learning compass, like find your path. And I'm very much about 
four-year colleges are not for everybody. Uh, certificates are perfectly fine. Vocational school is great. Art degrees are important. You know, <laughs> like uh, so I get a lot of adults who dropped out or a lot of moms who want to go back to school or um, probably late starting uh, young people. So let's say they took a gap year or a few years and they want to start college. And they just, they were taught one thing at high school and then they get there. And if you kind of don't go through directly from high school or if you drop out or if you have a break, it is hard because there's nobody there to assist you in the process. Because at least in high school, either your friends are doing it at the same time, your parents are there helping you. There are the school counselors there to guide you through the process. But if you're starting by yourself at 22, yeah, I'm here to help. I really take time to talk individually to, to my clients and I find out what they want. They come in and they're like, oh, like one of my clients is a great story. She's like, I want to be a speech pathologist. It's like, okay, great. You want to study speech pathology because you want to be a speech pathologist. She's like, yeah, but I really want to be an actress. And I'm like, so wait, why are we studying speech pathology? <laughs> like, back up, can you like walk me through this? And and then she like changed her mind and she realized that she could get an MFA in like acting and screenwriting, and that's not a waste of a graduate degree. So and when I was talking to her, she was not diagnosed with ADHD, but she's like, I have anxiety and I have depression. And she kept changing her mind like every five seconds of what, like, cause I'm like here trying to help her pick schools. Mm -hmm. And she's like, you know, maybe I want to go here. Maybe I want to go here. And I'm, like, I'm like, have you talked to your doctor? And she actually just was diagnosed with ADHD and we're applying for MFAs for her. And now she's going to not only get the application to the schools that she wants to go to with what she wants to study. She also knows now that she has ADHD and to seek accommodations and assistance for that. Mm -hmm. So again, I'm not here to diagnose people, but I am here to help them find out what they want to study. Yeah. And which can be really hard for people with ADHD. I mean, I changed my major multiple times and I think that's, you know, where we do the thing where we hyper-focus and we're like, oh, this is something I really want to do. And then like, kind of like veer off and, and sometimes we're going back to stuff that we wanted to do as a kid, or maybe what we're thinking or the future. And it is really hard to kind of go like, okay, what do I actually like want to do for me? I went to school for early education, um, not right out of high school, but, um, shortly after that and long story short, top preschool for eight years. Now I'm back and I'm kind of like in this, I'm, I was like 26, 27. I wasn't really sure. I knew I went, didn't want to teach preschool anymore. And um, I did, but I just wasn't sure where to go. And I loved interior design. And so I'm like, okay, I, I love interior design. My dad was a house flipper growing up. And so we would go to like open houses all the time and like walk around. Like we'd go to like nicer neighborhoods than I grew up in and we'd look at their countertops, you know, and kind of do like the like looky-loo acting like we are going to buy this house. And so I grew up like really loving it and, you know, HGTV, um, I was obsessed with it. So I thought it would be something that would come really easy to me. Um, and it, and it was, but the, 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 um, interior design program is connected with the architecture program. And so I was having to take like architecture level math classes, me and math are worse than me in reading. Um, 
but it's just, it's just one of those things. So I really struggled in math and I kind of had like this emotional breakdown because I realized that like, I would not be able to get there and take those really hard math classes. And so I had to like, let go of, of that dream. And when this was going on, I, life, life is so funny. My boyfriend, um, was, he's, I said this before, but he's a special education teacher and his school was coming to my college to tour, um, the school. And so he's touring a school and they, they have the middle schoolers and, and come in and they're learning about the different programs they have. And they mentioned graphic design and he's sitting in this, in this like room and this teacher's talking about graphic design. And he's like, I was listening to it thinking like, oh my gosh, this is something Katie would want to do. Like she would love graphic design. She loves to do art. She loves to work with people. She loves multimedia. Like those are things that were her strengths. And it was so funny because I, I was going through this, like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And he comes home like that week with a packet about graphic design. And I just straight to the counselor's office. <laughs> I watched yeah. him there. I was like, you know what? A couple months ago, I told you I want to do this. That's not going to happen. And so um, this is all before I had no idea I had ADHD and I was taking 16 credits at the time, um, which is also, that's hard. <laughs> yeah. And you know, what's funny is I, I was in the zone. I was so, I was so much in the zone and I was so passionate about school at the time that I was at an art show for my college. And cause I was in architecture classes, but I was still in, it's still under, um, art and design. And so I was in an art show and the Dean of art came up to me and he's like, I always see you running around. Cause I had so many classes. So I was like literally running to classes. I wore tennis shoes and yoga pants every day because I would literally run. Um, and I was like, yeah. And he's like, well, how many classes are you taking? And I was like, I'm, I'm taking 16 credits. And the Dean of art looked at me, he goes, you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> yeah. That's like, that is, I was like, that's too many credits. But I'm looking that's at him very- like, what? No one told me like, literally like I registered for classes on my own. And so in my mind, you were talking about that, like not knowing what to do. So in my mind, I thought it was like high school, like, okay, from high school, I go to school from 8am to 3.30 in the afternoon. And so that's how I planned my college is I literally packed it full so that I went to school every single day, took, I had and and I was doing art and design. And I know people are like art and design. What's cool about the whole thing is that I was taking so many classes and I took 16 credits. I got straight A's. So I did struggle in math. Yeah. Like, Hey, I was taking 16 credits. I barely graduated high school. Like my counselor in high school, as I was walking down to get my diploma, gave me a high five and said, great job because I squeaked by, I literally squeaked by. And so for me to take 16 credits, get straight A's and have the, like the Dean of art (laughs) director come up to me and go, you're not supposed to do that. And I was just like, wait wait, what? Like I'm, I thought like, I just am so used to going a hundred miles per hour that it seems so easy to me. And it seems so natural to take that many, but my teacher came up to me and he was like, like, you're really, you're just really intense because I, I wanted to do so well in school that it made me come off as intense. Like I was paying for this, like wanted to learn and wanted to make sure that I understood everything. So I would get there early, sit in class, stay after class, ask questions, take pictures of the whiteboard. I was like, I was just trying to be the perfect student and, and for him to pull me aside and be like, you're, you're, um, you're too much. Like he literally was like, you're, you're really intense because of that intensity. And because of the pressure, I, I, I broke down. I started getting panic attacks when, when a normal student, you know, they might get 
not a straight A or like not a 99, they oh, might they might not have I, a I mental have... breakdown. I was literally like, if I got like a 97 on a thing, it felt like the end of the world to me, which is so funny because like I said in high school, I, I got a C, I was putting that thing on the fridge. I was proud of it. So for me to have these like emotional dysregulations and these panic attacks um, over something that really probably outside of it wasn't a big deal, but to me it was, he saw that and was like, this is not okay. Like, this is not, not normal. And so then I was like, oh, I thought it was just because I was really like passionate about school, but I really just was like struggling with anxiety and, and undiagnosed ADHD without accommodations, without those supports. And so then the lockdown happened. And then I still thought I had anxiety and ended up getting diagnosed. But if it wasn't for that, I don't think like, if I didn't go back to school, I don't know if I would have been diagnosed. I, I really don't know. I mean, how well, long I could have lived with it without knowing. And I think that is something that you can talk about with people. Um, the, the studies about women in ADHD say, if you are not, if you're missed in childhood and you graduate high school and you matriculate into a college, that is when many women will get their first diagnosis. And if you can be like me and get through college, then like, I don't know if I never got sober, I could have turned out a very different, like, cause I don't know if I, and it's so sad because we know that substance abuse and ADHD are so intertwined and related, but I also can relate so much to what you said. Cause in grad school, I got a B minus on a paper, not in the class, in a, on one paper in my whole time at grad school. And I was in tears. I was so upset. I was like, I felt it's like, and maybe it's rejection sensitivity or perfectionism, but it's like, it's painful. It was like, mm-hmm. and everyone's like, what's wrong? Like what's wrong. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, I gotta be minus. And they're like, that's not a bad grade. I'm like, yeah, we just put our heart and soul into everything we do. And I think we do like people don't think we give a hundred percent, but honestly, I feel like we give 125%. So those things and those, what we see as failures hit us hard and they hit us deep and they make us feel so unworthy because we worked so hard to get there and fight and then put everything we had into it. And so I think that that rejection sensitivity is, is definitely something I was struggling with. And that was kind of has been a huge eye opener for me, especially with this ADHD diagnosis is I do tend to like take constructive criticism not well. Oh no, and- I'm terrible, terrible, <laughs> terrible at constructive criticism because, and also because I like I'm saying, this is so intertwined in my story because school was where I could excel and school was where I was not getting criticized because we all know that interpersonal relationships with people with ADHD is really hard. So I was like too much for people or too loud or too excited, um, which which made me very self-conscious and have low self-esteem and low self-worth. So the school and being intelligent was, was a way that I could fight that or like feel validation or self-worth, which is, which is also now ridiculous five years after diagnosis to say, because clearly like it does not matter whether I do well in school or not I still have value and worth but it it just gave me that external validation which which people with ADHD seek so desperately because we're told so much that we're wrong or loud or you're doing it wrong and so for me education was just like something I could control Mm -hmm. 
and I always did well and it was never hard. And yeah. I think that's why I love school. But like when I was out school and what's funny is because my ADHD makes me like fun or weird or silly or spacey, there'd be like, often people would be like, I didn't know you were smart. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm about to get my third master's degree. And this is actually a very good story. And I think you can relate to this and anybody can, because um, I do want to talk about my ADHD education courses and why I make them and so uh, I'm sure you know the book by Sari Saudi Solden you know the women radical guide to women with ADHD so I picked up this book and I read about self-worth and I was like oh wow that's sad and I realized there's so many women with ADHD who have no self-worth and so I lost my mother in July 2020 during the middle of the pandemic and I graduated with my youth development specialist certification in December of 2020. And I also had to finish my dissertation by January, 2021. Okay, so I lose my mom in July. I come back to Japan during the middle of the pandemic when they threatened to pretty much not let me back in the country because I'm not a Japanese citizen, even though I'm a permanent resident. And so I watched my mom die, I come back to Japan, I'm like, okay, so I write a dissertation. I graduate Michigan State. I graduate my, I get high honors on my dissertation, which was a super complicated comparative case study on study abroad and technology. I did both of those. I bought a house and I moved and I graduated by March, okay? And when I graduated with two master's degrees at that point and moved, during COVID with two kids while working, I said, yeah, but anybody can do that. I know, because I was working with my, my grief counselor, like when she heard me say this out loud, she's like, like, she's kind of speechless. And I use this as an example in my class because it proves that we can see the value in every other person except ourselves. And I do not think that anybody could do that. I think it was an incredible achievement now. And it's only been a year, but it because of perfectionism and because for me, yeah, probably I could do that. Yes, I could do that. It was hard, but like, yeah. I don't think there was any way I wasn't going to do it. And I know for some people with ADHD, finishing things is really hard. But I, and that's in some ways when I say my perfectionism can be good just because it makes me finish stuff yeah and you were talking about I think you said with with finishing I mean I yeah finishing things is something like I think I mentioned this in my last podcast how it's really hard for for me to finish things I'm really good at the idea and all the work leading up to it but that like last leg I always feel like I really struggle and so we were talking about college and um uh dropouts is there like a link between college dropouts and ADHD is it just because they're not receiving the accommodations or they just don't know or what is the link is it because uh, we just haven't found our spot yet and you know you have to change your major a few different times I'd I love to hear there, there's a few studies out there and the dropout rates are very highly correlated with um with high intelligence so if you matriculated into college right after high school and you get in there is a high chance that you will drop out or not finish. 
it's and they said it was 42 percent in one study of people with high intelligence so they based this on iq mm-hmm. this particular study mm-hmm. so basically if you were smarter and got into college you were probably receiving less accommodations and or not knowing how to ask for it and also college gets more complicated in what you study and intelligence does not compensate emotional regulation and executive dysfunction so when you could skate by in high school and nobody really you know she's getting b's instead of a's like that switches over in high school and then you have all the social um aspects of college as well it's just a perfect storm for for many adhd people to just shut down completely and and that's why, like I said, women might get diagnosed in college, but they might just drop out or never come back. And then many people with ADHD just don't go to college because they just had such a hard time in high school mm-hmm. and they've been told, oh, you're just stupid or you're helpless. And so sitting and in a chair, where- all that stuff, like you're not, you're not getting that same like exercise. You're in charge of your own schedule setting that. I think that is really hard. There's like definitely a lot more flexibility, the parking, the driving, the The like, and a lot of people work, work. like a lot of people have to go. Like, uh, I was not one who had my parents pay for college. So I needed a job. So a lot of us are working and going to school and managing like more difficult jobs than like when you were, you know, when you're a high schooler and you have a job, nobody's expecting that much. I feel nobody's expecting that much for you, but when you're like in your twenties and you're working yeah, they know you're a college student, but that doesn't, your boss is kind of, I I feel they don't care if you're like working and you need the money. So there's just so many complications. And then yes, there's the, why am I doing this? Should I drop out? And so there is, the the article said about 42% will drop out at least once, which means some people might try multiple times and drop out. And there is the financial investment as well. Like you said, I'm paying for this. This is expensive. There's a few things I want to talk about this. One, dropping out is okay. We need to normalize that if you need to walk away from a school situation, that does not mean you fail. It means that program, something's going on that is not right for you. And if you can come back to it later, or you can come back to it with accommodations, or you can come to an education consultant and figure out what mm-hmm. the problem is. Do you need accommodations in class? Is it executive functioning? Do you have mm-hmm. other problems happening? Like, where is the problem coming from that, that the school work is not getting done? Are you, and that could be a number of different places. And that's why going to multiple schools is fine. And for ADHD people, we know it's all about passion mm-hmm. and making it work for you. So yeah, like you said, the application process is really hard. That's a lot of deadlines and really specific information. And actually why I can help my clients with that, one is because I like academia, two, because I worked as a study abroad advisor for many years and I was working with many higher education students you learn to understand the questions and applications, which even that for an ADHD person or a neurodivergent person, like Mm -hmm. those questions are designed to weed people out of school. Like they're so, you need to read the the personal statement questions so carefully to find out what they actually want you to say. Mm -hmm. And so I just help my students, my clients do that. 
any continuing education, and actually I talk to parents too. So it's like, it is very broad, but I will talk about higher education because I feel that's where most of your listeners are. So let's say you dropped out of school and you want to go back, um, but you have a job, a full-time job, and you have kids and you don't know where to start. Well, then you come to me and we, there's so many options now at school and it is so overwhelming. But for me, the forever student, I don't mind researching your degrees. Just tell me what you want to do. I will do all of that. So I just talk to my clients one-on-one. -on -one. I get to know what they want. I, I try to listen to their learning styles. Are you going to do well in an online school? Do you need to be in campus? Can you be a full-time student? What is your financial situation? There's really endless options of schools and certificates and types of education. And it's only getting more because of the online programs that have been opening up and the internationalness of higher education in general. So most people just get stuck there. They, they were like, I want to go back to school. And then they look at some schools and they're like, I have no idea. And they just put it aside. But, and especially if they dropped out, there's like the shame and they're like, oh, the kids are going to be like 20. I'm really just like, I call myself a, a wedding planner for academics. Because, you know, wedding planning is confusing. Which venue do you want? What do you want? What are you, like, yeah. you have somebody else helping you make those decisions because there's so many decisions. Your job is to focus on something else, or, you know, and yeah. especially if you're an adult and you're working or a mother, especially I have a lot of uh, parents who just are like, I want to go to grad school, but I don't know how to fit it in. And I just show them it's possible. And then after we decide a track or them, some people just need help with that first bit. Yeah. And so we just find the schools and they do the first bit and then they go off on their way. And that's like the very easy, cheapest option, yeah. right? And then there's some people who really need me to hold their hand, maybe like what your, your partner did for you, like hold your hand through the whole entire process, walk you through FAFSA, walk you through this. When you're reading applications or you're like looking at the programs online, there's a lot of like academic speak that you might not understand. I basically can help them look at what they think they want and then explain it to them in a way they can understand. Mm -hmm. To be like, this school will give you this experience versus this school that might give you this experience. Which one's not? So I usually break it down to very simple choices. And like ADHD people need, I put deadlines, urgency, and dates before the actual deadlines, application dates. And we go over and we check everything. And for somebody with ADHD, you know, they say, oh, you're bad at details. I'm not bad at those details because one, my clients are depending on me to mm -hmm. do it. And two, because academia is what I understand. So yeah. those details don't confuse me. So I assist them with their statements and editing and checking all the boxes and making mm -hmm. sure everything gets in and also believing in them that they can do what they want and like talking people who want MFAs out of getting speech pathology degrees. That depends on your teachers too in high school. If you didn't have good teachers or parents who told you that what you want to study is valuable because unfortunately society places value in terms of economic support on certain degrees. Yeah. So they're like, you shouldn't get an art degree because you're going to be poor. My yeah. undergraduate art degree has helped me in everything I've ever done. 
and I do not regret studying art at all. And I think it is hard for us like to nail down something we like because we have had like so much fluidity through our life. Like if you think about me and like my experiences, I'm a hobby hopper. So I, um, I switch hobbies a lot. And so it was hard for me to like really nail something down because for one, deciding on something is a big choice. And then two, I don't know is like that feeling of like, is it going to stick? Is it some, am I going to like put my whole heart and soul into this? Say, yes, I want to do this. And then I'm paying money for it. And then I'm held accountable for it. And I have to do all the work. And what if one day I just wake up with that feeling of it's like not that passion, that love, that interest is gone because that has happened to me. It's happened to me in relationships. It's happened to me at jobs. It's happened to me in school, you know? And so I have that track record of you're talking about like shame and guilt as I do have that track record of like past failures because the novelty wore off or the interest went away. And so it, it is hard to, to do that, to think you're going to take that next step and have to pay the money and do the work on something that you're not really sure if it's going to work out, you know, and it, is, it is frightening. And that's why I would say anybody for me, um, my initial consultations are always free because people will come to me and be like, I want to go back to school and we'll like have a conversation and I'll be like, you don't need to go back to school. Like, that's not like, because a lot of people just see it as a filler too, or, or they're confused. They don't know what to do. So they're like, I'll just go back to school. And they'll talk to me and be like, but do you need, do you need it for this? Like what? And so when we can look and I think ADHD are really good, big picture thinkers you know that's what we've been told we're good at so I kind of take them backwards to be like big picture you have a graduate like where are we going mm-hmm. and so I'm not like a snake oil salesman like clients will come to me we'll have an hour-long conversation I'll be like you don't need an education consultant yeah. you need to do xyz there is so much more out there than just going and going oh. to college there's so many jobs available and they're great paying jobs with benefits and security and all that stuff and so I feel like that's something that schools are going towards like high schools are now starting to encourage people to go into trades but I think it's also something to let people know like it's not too late to go into a trade either no I definitely I support vocational schools trade schools uh just getting certificates like there's people who just need a yoga certification and they they want to do stuff with yoga like it's not a four-year degree it's not grad schools it's not a PhD like it's learning, it's education. And I, I always point that education is for you. It's for you. It's not for this other thing. So I don't want you to study something you think you should study. I want you to study what you want to study and what makes sense to you. And you're reading are you, that book about the radical guide to women with ADHD. In the book, it kind of talks about like g- going back and like looking at your old dreams. Yes, there's a whole chapter on that. I yeah, and that. I think I think that was really cool for me and for others who are not really sure like what direction to go in. And I think that there's probably a point in everybody's life where they've kind of reached the the end of something, and now there's room for a new beginning. And they're like, okay, where do I go now? Do I want to go back to school? Do I want to get some ter- certificates? And so I think it's really important to talk about like looking back on things that, you know, you're good at and you enjoy and like maybe things that you even enjoyed in your childhood. Like it's okay to, you know, lay out all the options and go, okay, well, this would be a good route, but this and this, or, oh, maybe we'll do this and stuff. And it's okay to kind of try on a few different things and, and see what it works. Cause I think I mean, because of that feeling of not knowing if something's going to stick or not, you are going to have maybe that hesitancy because to start something new is kind of terrifying. And 
And actually schools make this very easy. So that when you're going back to like longer institutes, you can now do a lot of just one, like I'm gonna enroll in one class. And like, that's when people are really on the fence, but they wanna go back. I always start them with that option. Let's enroll in one college class and see how it works because that's not a huge financial investment you're not applying to the school you're just getting credits which you can then apply to anything and if not you're learning something it's one class right like it's a good story about going back to things um so i'm going for my third master's degree as you know in neuroscience and psychology of mental health but i'm also slightly terrified of getting an ms because it means math but I'm at a point in my life where I can approach being a neuroscientist mm -hmm. <laughs> because I understand my challenges with ADHD and because I don't put all of my value into getting straight A's anymore. And that it is just more about gaining the knowledge and doing it than doing it perfectly. <laughs> and while I'm scared about the math that's going to be involved and statistics like if you showed me a quantitative study like whenever I look at a quantitative I'm like run away there's a graphs <laughs> but I can do it now and that was a childhood thing for me I feel there was this desire to understand brains like way before this and then when I got diagnosed with ADHD and anxiety and you'd see all those pictures of brain scans. Like, I don't know, a lot of my ideas always started with like, we need a brain scanner. But I'm saying we will move mountains to reach things we really care about. Mm -hmm. And so for me, if it's gonna be facing down math so I can get this degree, whereas in the US, they are relaxing a bit about where you get your school schooling from or it doesn't matter as much. So again, that plays into your decision as well. What are you pushing for? Where are you going to be? And as much as I'm doing it for me, I'm doing it for neurodivergence in Japan because mm -hmm. that's going to open doors for me to advocate for them. And so as an outsider here who have two children who are half Japanese, who are definitely both have ADHD, I need to prepare myself for them too. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you're your diagnosis or your maybe just your experience with with everything does is that the reason why you've pursued this um major and like this path do you think that's oh it has that a is a direct correlation yes I like my master's in education was I was a teacher and everything I've done has been involved in education in some way because I think just the, the learning like I loved learning and then I always felt everybody just needs that the other half of what I do, which I want to talk closely, is, is ADHD education in of itself, where I just teach about ADHD. So I'm a teacher. I've taught English. I've taught these lawyers. I've, I was also a kindergarten teacher for many years. Like I've taught yoga. I teach. I teach. I'm just a teacher. So I just took like the radical guide and I turned that into a course and I'm teaching women about ADHD. I'm not a counselor. I'm an educator and I break down ADHD into education size bites hmm. for everybody to understand why neurodivergents act the way they do or how we can communicate better with neurotypicals and neurodivergents to understand each other. And it's kind of flipping this script 
for when I teach ADHD people, let's say, like my class now is women with ADHD. Mm-hmm. So it's about flipping the narrative for them about your worth is not your ADHD. Mm-hmm. Your worth is not what you have been told. Yeah. And I, I make it in an educational format versus a coaching or support because that's how they'll understand it. Yeah. And that's how they'll be able to communicate to others what they need. My, my psychiatrist calls me an ADHD translator. <laughs> so she's like so you're like an ADHD translator you just like tra-. so I take like the way we think or our symptoms and I articulate it to, to neurotypicals and to neurodivergence in ways that they can explain to their partners why they forgot to close the dishwasher right I mean like the fights between the that's why my relationship is the next course after women because women have a hard time with their own issues and and I want to provide them with that, like I said, the academics. So when they're asking for work accommodations, they can be like, science, science, yeah. science. <laughs> and explain why it's beneficial to their employer to give them accommodations. Because they can be like, no, no, it's not that I have ADHD and this is going to hinder my job. But if we just allow me to do X, Y, Z, I will be able to produce more for you, which is going to be a much more convincing story to an employer. Even it's the truth, but I just provide my ADHD education students with that language, with the knowledge to advocate for themselves. Yeah. And I think that's, it's really helpful because there are so many women that are being diagnosed late. And so we're going through this, like, kind of self-discovery and trying to figure out how much ADHD has impacted our lives and you know, we're doing, we're going through the process of looking back in our childhood and, and talking to our parents and reading those report cards as kids and, um, and kind of just learning about ADHD. And so I think it's so great to have somebody on the other side that's like, hey, uh, I put together a course that can, that can help you go through this. And um, that was one of the first books I read. It's helped so many people. So I use that as, because I feel people with ADHD can go through that. They don't need me to guide them through that book that much, but then I'm going to bring in other resources and other more academically based researched articles mm-hmm. to explain what the book is explaining yeah. also, and to, to make the class for a forever student ADHD woman who likes who's going to thrive in an environment like that. So basically I just made a class for myself. I've tried to make it very ADHD. I will say this. I will say as a mother with ADHD and kids with ADHD, that that is my newest um, rabbit hole. (laughs) And my, so first course is going to be women in ADHD. And then the next course is going to be partners which can be both. So you can have ADHD and come in. You could be a neurotyp- non-ADHD partner come in. I'm, I, I have uh, Russell Barkley's book on when an adult you love has ADHD for that. And then the next class is parenting with ADHD. In general, mothers don't get that much support across the board in all areas of life. And like I said, with postpartum depression or PMDD or When you have these kids, um, what I find my biggest challenge right now is when I have ADHD and both my kids have ADHD and we're all super loud and none of us 
can regulate our emotions. I'm still the mom. I still need to be the leader and I need to put my ADHD needs aside for my kids' ADHD needs. And that is not easy. I'm not perfect. Like, yes, I need help in this sphere too, but that's going to be the next one is, is finding a way to support parents with ADHD and, and what can we do? Because you are, there is more limitations around that because in all the other senses of yourself and when you're accommodating yourself and you're fighting for yourself, you are the thing you're fighting for. But when you need to put your ADHD aside because you're grown and this child is six, Mm -hmm. It's way easier said than done. Um, I also got them tested super early and I like could see it so early. And I'm also kind of new because like you, I was diagnosed as an adult. So I have no idea how to accommodate kids with it because I was not accommodated as a kid with ADHD. When we're talking about medication and like medicating kids. And first of all, there's been a lot of studies that say like, yeah, you should medicate your kids early. But now I'm here in this situation where I can medicate my kids. And I'm like, is that the right decision? And I don't, I know what the, and that's, that's when the academic and the science mind of me will have this because yeah, okay. The studies point to this, but like at that time, medication was also the only kind of support we had for kids with ADHD mm-hmm. as somebody with ADHD, as a mother with ADHD, they are diagnosed, but I don't know. What do I do with that? I send them outside a lot. Go. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's just a loud house. And like my, my son, I can see it so early, like executive functioning with like getting his socks, like just finding clothes. Like he struggles. So he's five, he's six and he just like get dressed is like the hardest thing you could ask this child to do. But it is, it's, it's, it's a hard thing to do. You have to find your clothes. You have to make sure they're comfortable. You probably have a sensory issue. You, you don't really know the weather. And my sons run hot. Like they're always hot. And I feel that was just like, so then he'll get dressed and then he'll be in like shorts and a t-shirt and it's like snowing. And we'll be like, could you just like not? Man? <laughs> but if you yeah. tell him to go back, he'll just lose it yeah because it's like it took him that much to get dressed so you're seeing your kids experience life and ADHD and you're you're kind of like learning as you go and also probably like realizing the support that you needed and that's really hard to to go through that realization like looking back at your childhood and looking back at your kids and realizing like how much support you didn't get and that is really hard and that's really hard for a lot of people to come to terms with all the guilt that goes into ADHD and the shame of just being a an adult with ADHD and how we are told that we are terrible at adulting and we can't do this and then you put motherhood the layer of motherhood on that and then you have to remember your kids school dates and all the stuff they need and you have to go to the meetings and you have to do this like there's so much organization and structure that I'm supposed to create as a mother and clean the house and do the laundry and make food and feed. So it's, it's very easy for ADHD mothers to feel like they are the worst mothers in the whole entire world. And then that's really sad too, because obviously we love our kids and we're doing our best, but like, 
we do have executive functioning issues. We do have stimulation issues. It's not our strongest suits. And so the best thing I can do to equip my sons and to equip my family is, again, it does come back to you because I need to learn what I can do to bring the house to run smoothly as a unit versus comparing myself to other mothers or comparing myself to even my husband who like he does all the cooking because I just stopped I, I cooked for years I loved cooking and then I just stopped cooking and he just took it over and now he like loves it and he just does all the cooking so there are these ebbs and flows in relationships too yeah and and it's more I can now so I can see the ADHD in the kids and explain it to him, but also explain why I'm not the best at like maybe keeping track of the school stuff or like, especially yeah. the way he wants to do things. So it is a lot of teamwork for everybody, but I do know that the mom guilt is real. And the other thing I was gonna say about your parents is I told you I lost my mother. Um, and I was listening to Dr. Vivid and she was talking about how her mother gets the toxies. And I am a very much a verbal thinker. I need to say it out loud. And I lost my mom. And I would talk to her for hours and she would just listen to me ramble about everything. And when I lost her, there's nobody to replace that. And it's been a, that's been the hardest adjustment of life without my mom. And where, so I still talk out loud to her, I'll do it, but I can't put it on my husband. I can't put it on my friends. There's nobody else. I'm still, and that hasn't been that long ago. So I'm like, who, where can, where can I get these thoughts out of my brain? Yeah. Where can you be you and express your feelings and your struggles and talk to somebody who just listen sure, who can listen to me ramble for nobody nobody wants it only a mother can do that job and so I'm trying to to carry on her on to my kids too yeah so it is complex and so yes please follow me on Instagram follow Katie listen to this podcast and uh look for me Kate yeah. Kamoshita there's actually only one of me my name is very useful because oh, Kamoshita nice. Kamoshita is not a very common uh Japanese last name uh it means under the duck Kamo means duck and Shita means under so we're the under ducks <laughs> and uh <laughs> so if you can remember Kate Kamoshita the there aren't very many of me out there. So that's probably the easiest way. And learning compass, find your path. Yes. And thank uh, you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. And I really, I really appreciate you coming on and being vulnerable and sharing your story and teaching us that, you know, it's never too late to pursue a dream or go back to school and that it's okay to go to um, a four-year college or a community college or a trade school or get that certificate or maybe take up you know, massage therapy or yoga or something, you know, never be afraid to try it. Cause you're, you're, you don't want to look back and go, man, I just wish I went back to school because it's never too late. Hi, once again, Katie, thank you so much for having me on your podcast and taking the time to sit and speak with me today. Again, if you are interested in continuing education or education consulting, please find me at my website, which is Kate Kamoshita 
kamalshita.com. That's K-A-M-O-S-H-I-T-A. You can also find me on Instagram at learning.compass. And my website is also connected to other social medias that are up and coming. I'm My virtual classroom is on the Thinkific platform. I'm under the LC School. I'm currently launching a course for assigned female at birth women with ADHD, which is a six-week course. Following that one, I will do partners of ADHD people. And then the course after that will be mothering with ADHD. These are small courses with live classes held by me. And it's really intimate and a good way to to both learn research and to connect with a group of people going through the same issues as you. So once again, Instagram at learning.compass, website Kate Kamoshita, K-A-M-O-S-H-I-T-A, and the LC School on Thinkific. Thank you all so much and keep being your beautiful ADHD selves. Well, that's it for today. If you'd like to be a part of the KDHD community, check out my Patreon, where you can connect with fellow ADHDers, get some goodies, and help support this podcast. Thanks for coming on this journey with me today, and I'll see you next time. The KDHD podcast is written, produced, and edited by me. The wonderful music you are hearing was created by my dear friend Sylvie. And for resources on this episode, check out the show notes on my website. Bye!